0: I remember having to choose an instrument when I was in fourth grade to perform in a band or an orchestra. And I remember vaguely wanting to choose the clarinet for some reason. But after not liking it after my first exposure, I ended up choosing the violin because the sound of... It being played both bowed and plucked really intrigued me when I heard the sixth grade orchestra perform a few pieces, and I remember being incredibly fascinated by that concept and I wanted to take it up as an instrument.
3: everyone and welcome to a new episode of set Lessing bruce your podcast all about bruce springsteen his music and mostly his fans i am your host jesse jackson we are getting off the bruce train this morning but he will come up as he normally does and we are talking fiddles violins classical music and maybe a little bit about autism Stuart Carlson is a gifted composer, violinist, and an advocate for people with autism. Stuart, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me on, Jesse. I'm really looking forward to this podcast.
3: Thank you. I am glad to hear it. I, You were kind enough to send me some files. I checked your website. You play beautifully.
0: Thank you so much.
3: So... I, Why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself?
0: My name is Stuart Carlson. I am a violinist, violist, composer, and arranger. I'm 27 years old and I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I've been playing the violin since I was 10 and a half, I've been composing since my 12th birthday. And I've been playing viola since I was 15 and a half. And I've
1: also the piano here and there since I was two years old.
3: I don't understand this concept, but did you, I hear people talking about playing piano by ear. Is that when you started playing piano, was a lot of that just by feel and by ear?
0: Absolutely. When I first started, I would stand around uh, playing different notes for hours on end, and I remember it giving me great joy and pleasure.
3: I am just amazed about... it. Just my brain doesn't connect to that, how someone just listening to the music... Can put it together. It's, I picture it like a typewriter. Once you learn how to type, you can do pretty quickly, but at first it doesn't make any sense because the letters are in no specific pattern.
0: That makes sense.
3: Yeah. So I always like to start at the beginning, Stuart. So talk about where did you grow up and was there music in your house what Did you listen to a lot of music as a child? Did your parents listen to a lot of music?
0: We did in fact, I was born in march nineteen ninety six at twenty six weeks. I weighed one pound and thirteen ounces, and I'm a surviving twin. I spent exactly one hundred days in the Mont Hospital new intensive care unit. And I remember vaguely hearing the first few notes of Mozart's Einigsleine Nachmusik in my isolate when there were small speakers placed there playing Mozart, Beethoven, and the Beatles.
1: Nice.
0: And as a kid, my parents were listening a lot to songs of the 70s, primarily rock and roll music. And so I was listening a lot to that and also to 60s Motown music, which is what had me intrigued. Artists like The Supremes, The Temptations, and Wilson Pickett. And I liked their music because... They use all seven notes of the diatonic scale as in a major scale compared to the pentatonic scale that a lot of rock and roll is in. If, I'm not sure if that makes sense.
3: No, it does. It is. I'm always, I love hearing the different reasons. I saw in your bio about you being premature. This is not really a question, just sharing a story i had a father on a couple of years ago he and his wife wrote Jun- juniper it was a story about their premature daughter and they played bruce springsteen music in the the hospital right and so yeah. when bruce was touring when he was doing his book signing the mom wrote an article about this is what I would have told Bruce if I had the chance because the book signing was very short and she told that story and when they asked Juniper she was like eight at the time were you disappointed you to get and talk to Bruce and she goes no he knows me he wrote me all those songs to her mind the other story I love is they would read her Harry Potter And when J.K. Rowlands found that out, she sent a full collection of the books signed all to Juniper, the girl who lived. Which, you know, Harry Potter is the boy who lived. So I, I think that's great. And a perfect example of the healing power of music. Don't you think, Stuart?
0: I definitely think so.
3: So even though you grew up loving Motown... What led you to classical music?
0: I had a lot of health issues and extensive physical and other therapies throughout my life. And one of them is fine motor skills. I had a lot of trouble with that. And so I was involved in weekly piano lessons and music theory lessons as a kid. And also, A bit of listening to classical music. And I'd like to think that's my involvement in that and my love for that kind of music is what brought me here. I would like to think.
3: Do you think it's the structure of classical music a little bit more? I realize that's not fair to rock and roll or blues or soul music, but classical music does seem to have a little more. Rigidness to it do you is that structure you think one of the things that spoke to you?
0: I think it is, and also, as I was learning music theory, uh, I developed quite a bit of fascination with different keys that and chord structures that especially classical era composers used at the time and I remember really liking Beethoven as a kid because of the different chords that he would using, for example, a symphony or a concerto
3: so why did you'd already started playing piano? Why, with your motor skill issues, did you choose the violin or did the violin choose you? That's a
0: great question, actually. I remember having to choose an instrument when I was in fourth grade to perform in a band or an orchestra. And I remember vaguely wanting to choose the clarinet for some reason. But after not liking it after my first exposure, I ended up choosing the violin because the sound of... It being played both bowed and plucked really intrigued me when I heard the sixth grade orchestra perform a few pieces, and I remember being incredibly fascinated by that concept and I wanted to take it up as an instrument.
2: Go to PantheonPodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win.
3: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
2: And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
3: How much of this, and I guess this isn't a fair question, but... A lot of times the idea is when someone is gifted, they go, oh, this naturally came to them, but that kind of belittles the amount of hard work you had to do to become good at an instrument. So if you could tell me a little bit of how much in your mind did this come, part of it come naturally, or was all of it a journey of having to work pretty hard?
0: I would say that a lot of it is definitely a journey. As my skills developed, so did my practice time each day. It lengthened. And when I became, started playing more advanced music, I started to switch violin teachers. And one of his, one of the things that I had to do to, in order to become his teacher, was to practice about two and a half to three times as much as I did back then. And at first, it seemed like a lot of work, but as I started to do it more often, I started to really enjoy working on technical aspects and performing exercises to help improve my playing.
3: So if, I had your mom or dad on the podcast, would they say you were someone they had to remind to practice or was it someone you love to practice and they almost had to do the other way? Okay. That's enough. You need to eat, Stuart, or you need to do something else.
0: I would say that I had my fair share of reminders, but I, remember also having my parents say, especially when I played piano as a kid, to do something else eventually, I think. But I do also remember when I first picked up the violin and wanting to make a great sound, having to really work on the emotion of this piece and getting the notes to where they're the most beautiful, even back when I first started. But I remember also having my parents really support me in that aspect. And even though I, it was, a lot at the time, especially when I first started. It was a really interesting journey, I thought.
3: Yeah, I yeah, I, it sounds like it. So. Do you re? can you remember the first time? Let's ask both the first time you performed as part of a group, I assume that was like in the junior high orchestra, but. When was the first time you did a solo where you performed in front of people by yourself?
0: When I first performed solo, I was about four years old playing a concert.
1: And I remember vaguely being pulled off the stage
0: after I had performed a number of songs, and from what I have heard, I screamed like a banshee when I was pulled off the stage because I didn't want the performance to end.
3: Uh, I'm often, I have done my share of presentations. I've done panels at comic book and culture conventions. I've made presentations at work, and People always say to me, you look very natural, you don't seem to be nervous, yet I am. Before I perform, I'm always that anxiousness in my stomach. And what helps is practicing, right? Like I I go over my points, I know what I'm going to talk about, so I feel more confident. But I think part of that energy is your body giving you the adrenaline to perform as much as you've loved performing, and I love that story that a young stewards, no, one more. I've got one more in me. Do you get nervous performing?
0: I would say there was one time when I was especially nervous other than, for example, when I first had to perform a solo on the violin in my first year of orchestra. I remember a number of years after that, having a master class, I wasn't in the class, but I attended it in the Czech Republic at a Summer Music Academy with a great violinist in the UK named Rodney Friend, who has become my UK violin teacher, and he says that he doesn't like the word nervous, and he would always convert nervousness into positive energy to perform well. And I ended up taking that literally and wanting to bring out this energy to perform as well as I possibly can. Except when I was 17 years old, I was asked to perform in Washington, D.C. for a number of senators and members of Congress. And about five minutes or so before I was on stage to perform, my idol, Yo-Yo Ma, sat right next to me. And my nerves just kicked in. And I for maybe the first minute or so just could not stop being nervous and I remember after I performed him complimenting me and him just being the absolute nicest guy and I really I really liked that because from but coming from someone I saw as a kid, as a character on the TV show Arthur on PBS, I have basically idolized him throughout my life. And it was absolutely refreshing to hear him give me compliments. And I couldn't, I feel like I couldn't repay him at the time. Uh,
3: that is a lovely story. And... You know, the thing they say, don't meet your heroes, but sometimes we do meet our heroes and they live up to everything we want them to be. So that's a beautiful story.
0: Thank you.
3: Did so? I want to ask about you're going through, you're learning your instrument, you're learning your craft. When did, when did you decide? When did music start? Coming from you, your own compositions. And is that something that was always in you that you would think up music in your mind and then just later you started writing it down? Or was that once again a journey that you had to work on?
0: When I first started composing, I remember having a lot of music and ideas in my head that I would I would always write down and I also remember working on different pieces and I would I would also use my synesthesia to see to hear music when I see different kinds of colors and imagery to convey that Image in my music. That's a skill that I had to develop with time. But I always remember having ideas in my head and composing them as best I could with keeping in mind the playability of the piece, which is also something that I had to learn because the first piece that I ever composed seemed unplayable at
3: times looking back at it. I love that. That's great. I wanna which do you bef- and I this might be asking a tough question, but do you is there a preference on taking something traditional? For example, you sent me some clips of different songs you had arranged and then or coming up with something original? Is there one you prefer over the other, or is it just two different muscles and you use them both equally?
0: I would say that I would use both of those muscles equally. I remember when I was first asked to arrange, I think actually it was Amazing Grace that was my first, or at least one of my first arrangements. And I used skills that I had developed when I composed previous pieces to provide counter melodies and different chord progressions that I feel would give my voice to the piece that I'm arranging. And I think over time my arranging skills had to develop as well and it wasn't until I composed a piece called What's in a Name about four years ago or so that I would say that I started to compose music in a similar style as my arranged music, if that makes sense.
1: It
3: absolutely does. In fact, you were kind enough to send me some links. And so I'm going to take a break right here. We're going to insert, after the fact, this playing a little bit of what's in a name and uh, share that so the listeners can hear a little bit. So we'll be right back. All right. That was beautiful. Once again, I really appreciate that. I grew up in a Southern Baptist home. We were the type that very active in church and amazing grace was a song that was around all the time. And your version of it brought back to me the simplicity yet the majesty of that hymn. It is an absolutely beautiful hymn. It is a classic, I guess, is the wrong word to use on something like that. But it is a beautiful piece of music. And I loved your arrangement of it. I'm going to lose you if you get too technical, but share a little bit about what you were thinking in your mind and what you were trying to accomplish when you wanted to do an arrangement of it.
1: I
0: really appreciate your compliments on my arrangement, and I wanted to tell you that I first was asked to arrange Amazing Grace for violin and viola by one of my teachers at the time, and I later changed it to violin and piano, and at that time, I decided that I wanted to use different types of Key changes and unexpected yet beautiful sounding chords in the arrangement. And also I wanted to begin softly and tenderly and end up in a grand style before coming back to the first emotion that I composed in. And I feel like Amazing Grace, that arrangement was the piece that sort of brought me one of my voices in arranging that really came from my heart. And I'm so honored and thankful for your compliments on it.
3: One thing about it, that one of the final verse, right, is... When we've been here 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. A lot of times when a chorus does that, they really ramp up the energy on that. And so I think you ramping up the energy in, this, in, in the instrumental version fits that tone. Oh, thank you. Yeah.
0: I appreciate that. That was exactly what I was trying to convey.
3: Yeah. I want to spend a few minutes talking about your work. You are very open that you are autistic. You, and so talk to me about your, about what the difficulties, if any, with the autism and what are you doing to try to bring a to me, I think there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about autism, and so talk to me a little bit about your advocacy and what you're doing to be to represent certain people with autism.
0: The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention defines autism or autism spectrum disorder (ASD) as a developmental disability caused by differences in the brain. People with ASD often have problems with social communication and interaction and restricted or repetitive behaviors or interests. People with ASD may also have different ways of learning, moving, or paying attention. And especially when I was younger, that was often the case. I would be so focused on uh, my interests, especially music, that I had quite a bit of trouble paying attention to subjects that were not music. I do have, though, a number of, especially in my youth, different interests, intense interests or passions, such as doors, watches, weather stations, radio jingles, and a few other ones that I had when I was older, like amateur radio or ham radio. I'm a licensed ham radio operator and trained weather spotter. And also I began to after listening a lot to that 60s Motown and 70s rock and roll music in as I started high school, my listening interests as far as listening to music changed, and I started to listen to top 40 music, artists like Katy Perry and Ariana Grande, and I still enjoy listening to that today. And that involved that interest, along with my interest in radio, sort of come. Find to when I launched my own what's called a part 15 radio station in my hometown of Ann Arbor where I played a lot of the music that I like to listen to. And it's a part 15 station means that it broadcasts only about 500 feet. But I also set up a one of the stations at my parents' workplace for the, the workers at their office, and they seem to really enjoy it. And that interest also led me to a three-hour show that I have on an internet radio station called Z103.com that I play. 2000s music on called GK that I'm really enjoying and all these interests seem to carry with me and also to combine and I really think this combination of both my interest in music and my other interests because of my autism have provided quite a number of opportunities if that makes sense.
3: It really does. And as you were telling the story, my first thought was in a lot of ways, that's every kid. They don't want to, they want to study what they're interested in and they don't want to study what they're not. But this weekend I was able to spend part of the day with one of my good friends. His name is Tom Zoller. He is from Timberlake, Ohio, right outside of Cleveland. And he is a and writer. And so he does a lot of comic books. And Friday was free, Saturday was free comic book day, which is every year different comic book publishers put out special issues that anyone goes into the store can get them. And So we were at this comic store in Houston and they had flown Tom in and Tom was doing free sketches, just really quick sketches. And three or four young people were talking that how much they loved to draw and they wanted to be an artist and their parents were saying, yeah, that's all they do. They just draw and draw. And so Tom gave them three pieces of advice and the first two aren't so much anything to do with their story, but in case anyone's listening who wants to be an artist, I want to give him, he said, one, take a speech class. He said, because you're going to have to sell yourself. You are going to have to communicate and you're going to have to talk to someone. They're going to have to, they're going to tell you what you want to draw and you need to be able to communicate. He said, so it's really important to take a speech class. Second, he said, take an accounting class because When you're doing a Kickstarter, you got to figure out how much money to charge and everything. He said, I wish he'd done. But the third, and I thank of you, he said, draw what you don't like to draw for at least an hour a day. Make yourself draw things that you don't like drawing. He said, it's easy to draw the things you like. He said, for example, Tom said, I hate drawing horses. I could not stand drawing horses. I got hired to draw My Little Pony. <laughs> he said, it, it's true. There is a picture at this comic store. There was a stand filled with books that he had either written or drawn of My Little Pony. And so he said, and so I'm thinking of you, right? You have to practice. You have to work on the things you don't enjoy doing To, you know, in simple terms, like when I first started learning, I made myself do 10 key on a computer pad just to get used to that. I love the fact that you're doing a radio station. Do you, is it by feeling or is it by, do you have a pattern when you're picking your playlist of what you're going to do on your radio, whether it's on the, small one or like at your work's your parents workstation workplace how do you build what songs are going to be played in what order
0: I build it through I use this piece of software that allows me to play different music at different times and what I did was I decided that I wanted it to be a station that plays top forty music, current hits, but also songs that a lot of people may have forgotten about from the from past years. And especially when COVID hit, I decided to play songs even further back than even what I had been playing earlier to give listeners a uh, sense of reassurance that everything is going to be okay and that things will eventually pass by giving them music that they grew up listening to no matter what era or style it is and i decided to play all different kinds of music at that time and the listeners really liked it, and so I just, that's what I am still playing at my parents' workplace.
3: I love that. That is great. I'm significantly older than you. I am, I am currently 63, and so I grew up in listening to the AM radio in the 70s, and at that time period, there was a wide range of different music. You could hear a rock and roll, you could hear blues, you could hear Motown, you could hear English rock, you could hear country, there'd be crossover. And I love the fact that if I want to hear nothing but Bruce Springsteen, there is an E Street channel on Sirius XM and I can hear Bruce all day. When I want to hear old Motown, there's a channel. But there is something special about turning on that station And you never know what you're going to get. Just this different music. So well done, sir. Well done.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
3: Yeah. So you just put out a couple of albums. Talk to me about those.
0: I put out two albums. One of them is Portrait of a Landscape Seasons, which was commissioned by a uh, PBS station, KTWU in Topeka, Kansas, in May of 2021, for their four-part television series called Portrait of a Landscape. Who and their first episode, Prairie Winter, premiered on November 30th, and we're, I'm really hoping that the series will go national by 2024. I did six songs for that album with different kinds of styles. There were two more bluegrass pieces, an arrangement of Home on the Range, which is the official state song of Kansas, and also my fiddle suite in A major. There were two orchestral pieces that sort of combined classical elements with bluegrass or Celtic elements, which that piece was actually my Amazing Grace arrangement that I transcribed for string orchestra and solo violin. And also What's in a Name, which was a little bit more classically inspired. And I also did two Pieces for small ensemble, a piece called Life Dance for piano quintet, and a dissonant truce for string quartet, which was a bit on the atonal side. But I wanted to expand my tonal vocabulary with that piece. And I, both of those pieces were also classically inspired. And I thought that would be a nice mix of songs to release. And then my second album is called Carols for Christmas. I Some of my favorite music is Christmas music. And about a year ago, I recorded those pieces from my published series of uh, Christmas carols for string quartet and string orchestra, I decided to record the string quartet versions. And in fact, speaking of Christmas music, I would still say that my favorite of Bruce Springsteen's songs is his version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town that I enjoy hearing every year.
3: I, Love that. I love that thought. I have a good friend who always picks at me that Santa Claus is Coming to Town is Bruce's best song. And he jokes that, what does Bruce do? He comes out sings Santa Claus is Coming to Town and then what? He goes off stage. So yes, it is something wonderful. I understand also you're working on two new songs for this, aren't you?
0: I am. I am working on two songs that will be in the summer episode called Amber Waves, which will hopefully be premiered either later this month or next month. One of them is a arrangement that I composed earlier this year of The Last Rose of Summer, which was originally an Irish poem, or a poem I should say by Thomas More, which was later transcribed to, or set to music, a traditional Irish tune called The Young Man's Dream. And I decided to set that to keep the Irish feel in that piece and use Irish instrumentation, including an Irish flute and Oolian pipes, which I thought had an interesting sound to it. And the other piece that I'm working, that I am finishing up, is a piece called Currents, which also has an Irish feel to it, and is virtuosic and fun to play. And I am really excited for the release of these two songs, again, either later this month or early next month, and that's also when they will air in Kansas.
3: Very nice. That's very cool. I'm going to include on the web, on my show notes, the link to your website. And I assume from your website, they can find, they can find more information about you. They can find the albums and that's good. So I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit. You and I talked a little bit yesterday just to get to know each other. And you had told a story about, you listening to some Bruce Springsteen music. So do you want to tell me that story?
0: I do. I um, was really inspired by listening to some of your past podcasts that I started listening to more of Bruce Springsteen's songs. And the one that really struck me was my hometown. There are... Of course problems with every town but there are also there's also a lot of beauty in every town which is what I like to focus on in my life the positive aspects of it and I wanted to convey that I was inspired by listening to my hometown to compose a sort of a solo violin arrangement inspired by my hometown that I would love to play for you if you're willing to hear it.
3: I would love to hear it. I've been waiting this since yesterday when you mentioned it. So, yes, please. That was beautiful. Oh, that was so beautiful, Stuart. I love that. That just, ah, I'm not kidding. I actually am a little bit of tears. It's so beautifully. Well done. That's beautiful.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate that.
3: Yeah. So what's next? What do you want? What's next for you? What's the next step in your journey?
0: My ultimate career goal is to arrange, compose, and create music for television commercials, video games, and film, uh, and also to perform with live ensembles, such as the Annabur Symphony Orchestra, which I've enjoyed playing with the past few years. And I'm also trying to get my music in front of as many professionals and listeners as I can.
1: I hope
3: that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, those are very good goals and very realistic. And I love it. It is. I've had so much fun visiting with you. I, I have, we've been almost an hour and I just, the time has just flown by. But before I get out of here, I do have to ask you the Mary question. So for those of you who are Stuart fans that have found the podcast, thank you for listening. Your musician has made you proud. Jay Armstrong was an honors English teacher that lived in the Philadelphia area. He's now retired. But he would take the song Thunder Road, the Bruce Springsteen song. He would look at the lyrics. He would have the students read the lyrics. They would talk about how it's compared to Robert Frost poems. And then he would ask the question... Does Mary get in the car? So, Stuart, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road?
0: I would say that she doesn't get in the car except for when Bruce performs the song live and he changes to the lyrics to where's set to to when. Yeah. Instead of I, and I think that would probably be the deciding factor, at least for me, if that makes sense.
3: No, that is perfect. That's a great answer. Any final thoughts you want to share with my listeners, Stuart?
0: Going back to my autism, um, it makes it really hard for me to communicate using words especially during something like this, a podcast or an interview or a one-on-one conversation. And music is how I best communicate with others. Uh, My voice is my performances, arrangements and compositions. And they're in my heart. I hope to inspire others with a positive message and beautiful music. And I am really thankful that you enjoyed my arrangement of my hometown and for inviting you to be on this podcast.
3: I will tell you, Stuart, anytime you have something to promote, whether it's a new album, you're going to do a performance, or if you just want to catch up, you're welcome anytime. You are a joy to visit with. And I love this. Oh, one last thing. We never did decide. Is it a violin or a fiddle?
0: I would say that it depends on the genre of music. Okay. Uh, typically it would I would like to think of it as a violin in classical music and a fiddle in more bluegrass and country and Irish music. But then I remembered hearing one of my professors always refer to my violin as a fiddle. And I found that to be interesting as well. Yes. It can definitely be interchanged.
3: Yeah. One of the stories we talked about yesterday in our little meet and greet was the Ken Burns documentary. Uh, Charlie Daniels was talking about when he met Izak Perlman and Isaac's, hey, we're all just fiddle players. Right. And so I just love that. I do, too. Yes. All right. Stuart, this was a joy. Thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself, your personal story, and your music. I loved your take on my hometown, and I can't wait for my listeners to hear it. So your website's the best way to reach you if someone wants to give you feedback on your music or to find more about you?
0: Absolutely, stuartcarlson.com. All right. Thank you for visiting my website.
3: Oh yes, absolutely. Thank you, Stuart. This was a truly joy, and I wish you nothing but more success and happiness. And you keep making the music because we need it. We especially during these times we need more music.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me to this podcast. I really enjoyed it.
3: Good. I'm glad. All right, listeners, stay safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. This show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingBruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469 249 2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, with my brother-in-time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon.